Welcome to 2024, and as we begin this new year, uh, I thought it would be good to go to God's Word, to the book of Romans, that speaks into a culture that has drifted away from what God intended it to be. Paul was eager and ready to preach the gospel, and so he did that to the Roman people, but in the midst of it all, he gave them some warnings of what happens in a culture when it moves away from God, how it takes a downward spiral along that path until eventually God has no choice but to bring judgment. I believe the book of Romans speaks to us today. So I hope you'll enjoy it as we dig in with these podcasts. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 2. We are taking a look at what life is without Jesus Christ, how we can come to know Christ, and what our life can be after we come to know Christ. And last Sunday morning, we went through what I think is one of the uh, most uh, hard-hitting passages of Scripture in all of God's Word as we looked at the last few verses of Romans chapter 1. It is relentless in its judgment on those who have turned away from God's plan, gone their own direction. Now, some of you may say, you know, Brother Monty, as you preached from Romans chapter 1 last week, boy, I sure am glad I wasn't in that category. And I'm thankful I'm not like any of those people. Uh, There but by the grace of God go I, so I don't have to worry about Romans chapter 1. Then you'll be interested in these words, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are without excuse. You are inexcusable, old man, whosoever thou art that judgest another. So if you sat through all last week and you was patting yourself on the back, or maybe asking your wife to pat you on the back, or uh, asking your husband to pat you on the back, and you felt your back was well patted, then you need to know that God's Word says that there's not any of us that sit in judgment over anyone else, because there's only one that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest do- doest the very same things." Verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, verse 4 and 5 are key to what we're looking at this morning. Or despisest thou, do you despise, the riches of his goodness? the forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. For after your hard and unrepentant heart, you treasure up unto yourselves wrath until the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The old-time preachers used to have a phrase that they used quite often. It was called, sinning away your day of grace. Sinning away your day of grace. Now, you may have never heard that phrase, but basically it is this, that God deals with a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, and he deals with us uh, often over a long, 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 long period of time. God pours so much mercy into the life, so much opportunity into the life, And he calls us to come and follow him. He invites us to come and follow him. So after God has stood at your heart's door and he's knocked a long time, you know the picture from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
After you stood at your heart's door and knocked for a long time and you've repeatedly said no, there comes a day when God stops knocking. And so you would say, well, he's not knocking anymore, but really my salvation is under my own control. And when I take an ocean to come to God, then I'll come to God. When I get ready to get saved, then I'll get saved. I've heard people say that. When I get ready to get saved, I'll get saved. But I'm not ready to get saved right now. And so when I get ready, I will be ready. And yet God's word also tells me, Jesus said in John chapter 6, no man cometh unto me, but the, what the Father that has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up the last day. So understand this. You're not going to come without an invitation. You're not going to have an invitation unless it comes from the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit pleads with you and draws you and calls you, you cannot come. And so, could you possibly have so hardened your heart that it is a hardened heart, an unrepentant heart, so much so that you are treasuring up the judgment of God in your life with every time that you say no to Jesus, every time you turn away from God, you're treasuring up wrath, the Bible says, until the day that wrath is poured out. That is called sinning away your day of grace. Now, there's another phrase we're also familiar with. It's not a biblical phrase, but it's this one. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Now, I think Betty's chickens have learned that lesson. They don't bite the hand that I, I love to do this, give a handful of corn in, a, in one of my grandkids. Just because I'm a granddad, I can do this. And you put a handful of corn in a bunch of grandkids, and they'll go out there, and I say, you can hold it out. They'll eat it right out of your hand. They will. Kabang! They'll hit it. The kids will jump. And so you kind of like to see that happen. But you know, well, I'm a granddad. Yeah, it's fun. It doesn't hurt them. Don't hotline me. I can see it right now. Grandfather sets up children to be pecked by chickens. But I mean, you get, here's, here's Fido, and you've taken care of Fido, and you've cared for him all his life, and, and then one day you go to feed the dog, and the dog bites you. It's called biting the hand that feeds you. Maybe it's an overreach. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe he didn't really intend to bite you, or maybe he did intend to bite you. And I look at this passage of Scripture, and I almost call this sermon, Don't Bite the Hand That Feeds You, because the Bible says, Do you despise the goodness of the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and his long suffering? Don't you understand that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? I can tell you, folks, I have a good God. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcast that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schenkel or you can write to mschenkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. So this morning, I want you to think with me about these three things. First of all, the riches of God's goodness. The riches of God's goodness. He says right here in verse 4, do you despise the riches of his goodness? And sometimes that, that song we sing around Father's Day, some people say, oh, that's so simple, and I just, uh, 
Uh, I'm not crazy about that song because it's just so re- repetitive. Brother Brad, is, he's a good, good father. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. You know he is. Good. He's a good, good father. Yes, he is. So what does that song say? Well, the song says he's a good, good father. You know what? He's a good, good father. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's a good God. He's been good to us. And he's been good to you. And we call this common grace. Because people say, well, you know, yeah, okay, God's been good to me, but you have no idea, Brother Monty, all the troubles and heartaches and burdens I have, and nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And you're right, I don't know. But I do know you're sitting in this service this morning. You probably came here with a belly full. You're probably already thinking right now, what are we going to have for lunch? You're going to lay down on a sleep comfort bed tonight or a straw tick or something. You're going to have a roof over your head. He's a good, good father. Don't despise. This is what Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise the goodness of God. Don't take it for granted. And yet when I look in Romans 1, this text we looked at last week, it reminds me of how much we take for granted from God. One of the things that it kind of points out right off the bat is how that after God has poured out himself and poured out all the revelation of himself and all the goodness of himself, mankind as a whole is unthankful. When I look at the text that came before this text, it tells me that God gave us truth. It tells me in verse 18, or in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. God gave them truth. God manifested himself to humanity in general, and what did mankind do? They turned to error. God shows you the truth. We turn to error. It tells me in this same passage, in verse 20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God gave us creation. What did mankind do? We turned to evolution. Verse 21 says, God gave us knowledge and insight about himself so that we could understand something about our God, and we chose to be unthankful toward him. God gave us wisdom, we chose foolishness. God gave us his glory, we chose idolatry. Can you imagine having such a glorious God and then we would begin to craft items out of hand so that we could turn and worship those things? God gave us a creator to worship, we started worshiping the creation. God gave us sexual fulfillment in this life as was his original plan when he says it is good and we chose to defilement and perversion. God gave us pure knowledge. We chose a defiled imagination. So everything God gives us, good, 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 we turn it. Dr. Donald Barnhouse said, before you say... You, talk about common grace. He said, for example, you're not a believer in Christ. If you want to argue that God is not good, you are not a believer in Christ, and yet you're not, and you're not in hell. You're not a believer in Christ, but you're still not in hell. That is the grace of God. You're not in hell, but you're on earth in good health and prosperity. 
That is the common grace of God. The vast majority of those who read these words are living in comfortable homes or apartments. That is common grace. You're not fleeing as refugees along the highways of a country desolated by war. That is common grace. You come home from your job and your child comes to meet you in good health and spirits. That is common grace. You're able to put your hand in your pocket and give the child a quarter or a half dollar for an allowance. <laughs> Whoa, boy, inflation's kicked in, hasn't it? That is common grace that you have such abundance. You go into your house and you sit down at a good meal, that is common grace. On the day that you read these words, there are more than a billion and a half people in the human race who will go to sleep without, any, without enough to satisfy their hunger. The fact that you have enough is common grace. I just want to say to you this morning, folks, we have experienced the goodness of God. You don't have to be a believer to see that. You're in this country. You're a citizen of this country. One of the best things that ever happened to me was to get out of this country so that I could appreciate getting back into this country. And just to say, he's a good God. The riches of his goodness. Now, here's the revelation of his goodness. Look here in verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, the revelation of his goodness. Look at how God has revealed his goodness to us. He uses three words, goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. He is rich in goodness. This refers to his moral goodness. Nine times in the New Testament, this particular word is used. Four of those times is translated kindness. Once it's translated gentleness. Three times it's just goodness, goodness, gentleness, kindness. All of those are words that tell something of God's heart toward us. My Father in heaven is kind. He's good, the core of his being. He does all things well. Then he's rich not just in goodness, but he's rich in forbearance. The word indicates a willingness on God's part to tolerate the intolerance. Get this now, to tolerate the intolerance of mankind toward him. Do you know that we are living in a world right here in the United States which is a good world because we have a good God and we're covered up with good blessings and God has been so good to you and yet mankind so intolerant to God that they would shake their fist at God many and say, well, he's not really that good a God. Uh, why am I not driving a new Mercedes? He's not really that good God. Why don't I own a new home? He's not really that good God. And there would even be those that say, is there really a God out there? Is he really out there? And then there would be those who would be so proudful as to say, if God is out there, then let him strike me right now. They better be glad I'm not God. I'd pinch a whole lot of heads. But this is our God. 
who even in our intolerance toward him, when we don't like his word, I hear people say this all the time. Well, why is that there in the Bible? Why do we have this Old Testament? Why do we have this code of conduct? Why do we have all these things? And basically they're saying, I don't like what God does. And still God, in his forbearance, withholds his hand, and they keep living, and they keep having another opportunity to come to him. His goodness... His forbearance, his long-suffering, which is the word for patience. This is the goodness of God as seen in his patience. The word that describes a patience that forgives until there's no more hope of repentance. It carries with it the idea of a slowness in avenging wrong. And all of the goodness, all the forbearance and patience is given in order that we might turn around the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Repentance is not an effort at reform. Repentance is not merely to say, I have regret or I feel remorse. Repentance is about face. And this is how we come to Jesus. Paul said, testifying to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how this is a one motion movement. You say, well, and I'm, I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to repent, or I'm going to repent and I'm going to trust Jesus. When you do an about face and you turn completely around, whatever you were going toward, now you're going away from, and that is what God does in our life. The goodness of God leads us to repent and turn to him. Now, there's the riches of his goodness, there's the revelation of his goodness, but then there's the rejection of God's goodness. Look at what he says here, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, the rejection of his goodness. Do you despise the goodness of God? That is Paul's point. Don't do it. Don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Stands to reason that we should know that. All of us who call on the name of the Lord, we understand that. We know that. When a person has lived with God's goodness and forbearance and patience so long, we cannot imagine anything but that being the constant characteristic of God, that God would never give up, that God would never stop, that the goodness would never stop flowing, that the grace would never stop coming. We can't imagine that God would say to anybody, to any man or woman, that is enough, that there is a line drawn that you better not cross. And yet when I read this passage of Scripture, he says, you despise it, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And so what do you do? You begin to store up, you begin to stack up, you begin to treasure up the judgment of God that shall be revealed. And so the more light you have, the more light you're accountable for. More opportunities, more answers you're going to have to give. And how often we ignore the warnings. So Chicken Little says, the sky is falling, sky is falling, sky is falling. And there comes a day when Chicken Little, nobody's going to listen to Chicken Little. And a weatherman, I remember this from just a month ago, we were having the ice storm of the century. 
It was, what was it, Stormzilla or something like that. It was coming in, and it was bad. And so I, I, I sat there, and, you know, I watched Sharon Ray on Channel 22, and then I flip over, and I, and I watch Zach Paul on Channel 13. I'm just getting them all. I'm getting them all, and it's bad, bad, bad. And I'm even thinking, I need to ask Brother Paul, when are we going to add a chief meteorologist to our church staff? Because I really need to know. I need to get this information. So it's bad, folks. It's bad. And so they warn us it's bad, it's going to be real bad. And so on uh, Friday night, it's, it's bad. And Saturday morning, get up and there's ice out there and it's, it's bad. And they said, everybody needs, you need to stay home, you don't need to come to church. And I knew just a prediction of ice keeps 80% of the Baptists at home. And I knew that we weren't going to have anybody. And so Brother Paul and I talked up in the morning and we said, you know, it's going to be bad. They said it's going to be bad, but let's wait till Sunday morning to make the call. And then Saturday night, they're saying, oh, it's going to be bad. You think it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen for sure. It is going to happen. And so it is going to be bad. And I looked at radar and it said big red line coming across. I think it's going to happen. It's going to be bad. And so I called Brother Paul and said, we just will go ahead and call it off and get up the next morning and it's good. <laughs> so the next time the weatherman says it's going to be an ice storm, I'm not believing it. I mean, it's been predicted, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and happen. Now, these people who live out there in California, that they're, they're down underneath this great big dam, and they say there's this dam's going to break. Did you watch that this week? This actually went through my mind as I was watching this story. This, this dam, it better break. <laughs> because if it doesn't, and here's what's happened. This is the natural response of mankind. It doesn't break this time. And they say, oh, but it's going to break. And, you know, they evacuated 200,000 people out of this valley. It would have been a terrible thing if it had broken. Don't get, don't get me wrong on that. It would have been a terrible thing if it had broken. But, but they're going to, the next time they have a big rain in, in about 1,000 years in California, if they have a big rain the next time, then, then they're going to start saying, the dam's going to break, the dam's going to break, the dam's going to break. And somebody's going to say, where's my fishing pole? Because I don't believe it. Well, we preachers talk about the judgment of God. We talk about uh, death. Uh, you say, oh, I just love to come to church. You talk about death. We talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We talk about a judgment that is sure to come. And you say, I've lived 60 years old and hadn't anybody judged me yet. And uh, death hasn't come yet. And Jesus hasn't come yet. And you can talk all you want to about God trying to lead me to repentance. But nothing has happened yet. The Bible says you treasure up in yourself wrath against the day of wrath. B.H. Carroll said a house had been built below a huge rock dam on a river. The family lived there for some time in security, and as day after day passed, their sense of security became more conformed and more formidable. And after they were willingly ignoring the fact that the stream above it was rising, that the water was increasing, that it was accumulating in volume and accelerating in speed, massing up, and after a while, in one moment, the dam split and the overwhelming water destroyed the hapless family. This is a picture of what it is to treasure up. Your heart is hard. You are unrepentant, the Bible says, after your hardness and unrepentant heart. You treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath. After all that Jesus has done for us, after all the times that he has called us, we won't listen. You're treasuring up. You step on his kindness. You step on his forbearance, his long-suffering, his patience. 
The peoples in Noah's, the people in Noah's day were warned. For 120 years, Noah labored on that ark, and he was a preacher of righteousness, but they didn't believe. The people lived in Sodom and Gomorrah were warned. And finally, Lot couldn't even rescue all of his his sons-in-laws, he seemed as one that mocked unto them. He had to grab his wife and children and pull them out of that city. And his wife looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. They had been warning, warned, judgment always comes. So here we have it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is declared. The Holy Spirit makes it plain. You can come to Jesus, but then you choose to refuse. Every time you refuse... Your heart gets a little bit harder. You treasure up wrath until one day the dam of God's wrath is going to break. You have sinned away your day of grace. Your knuckles have been whitened by holding on to the pew. Your feet will not move, but it's really your heart that has grown hard. The wrath of God that is treasured up may not burst today. God's judgment may not fall today. Does that mean it will not fall? You live your whole life not heeding the call to trust Jesus Christ. Does that mean that there will not be a day when you'll be very sorry you didn't come to follow Jesus? And you may even say, well, now, Brother Monty, I want to live my life the way I want to and do my own thing. And so when I come down to the end of my life right before I die, then I'm going to call on Jesus. I'll repent in that day. Billy Sunday said, deathbed repentance is burning the candle of your life for the devil and then blowing the smoke in God's face. The wrath of God may not come today, but it will come. God's ultimate act having to do with the wrath of God was poured out upon his son on the cross. Now you say, preacher, how can I escape God's wrath? Come to Jesus. It's no mystery. God has made it very clear in his word that the righteousness of God is revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. And God's judgment fell upon Jesus. And you know, the judgment for my sin, all my sin, it was placed upon Christ so that Christ died in my place that I might be saved. And the Bible says that when we come to Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is removed from us. It's not going to fall on us because of the provision that has been made for us. So do not despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his patience. Don't be one of those folks. Don't harden your heart. Don't sin away your day of grace. Yeah, just out of the common goodness of God, we see what he's done for us. But especially in his grace that is revealed through his son, Jesus Christ, who wouldn't want to believe who wouldn't want to trust in Jesus? And I plead with you this morning. Turn away from your sin, turn to the Lord, and receive the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate 
you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you, and I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.